You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. God bless you all. It's good to see you. And yes, I uh, was speaking live in Cafe Church. We asked them to turn around do their worship after the message because something died in the sound system, but that's okay. Um, The only thing is, you know, they're kind of quieter in cafe church, a little bit more introverted. So when I was asking for amens, I got a lot of... (laughs) So when I ask for an amen here, I'm expecting for a little bit more of the extrovert. Amen? Amen. Woohoo! You can just write off that energy. Mm -mm -mm. Praise God. Praise God. Right, well, perhaps this is the kind of message I should speak at New Year's, but I felt the Lord saying I am to speak it today. It's been something brewing around me. The last, uh, I've been looking at Lot and Abraham, and uh, as Michael probably told you, I'm going to finish off that whole look and series next Tuesday night. But I want to look at another aspect of Lot's experience in the Bible. And I've called today's message, Look This Way. So all of you now are looking up this way. If you're looking towards the wall, you're looking the wrong way. Would anyone say amen? Look This Way. And that's the title of today's message. Because I feel God is saying some of us are looking the wrong way. And... That can destroy us. So I'm going to be looking at what Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus is talking about Lot and his experience 2,000 years roughly before Jesus lived. And Jesus, of course, was speaking 2,000 years ago. So what we're looking at is 4,000 years, 2,000 years. But actually Jesus was prophesying. For today. So that's what we're going to look at in Luke 17. And may God bless his word to our souls in Jesus' name. Praise God. Thank you, Roger. As ever, the firm amen. It's good to hear it. Good to hear it. So are we looking the right way? Or are we looking to our past? Me closer. I thought it sounded too loud. You see, Denise is always saying, your voice is very loud. This is just when we're out, you know. And she's right, because I have to keep my voice down. So sometimes I kind of talk like that into the microphone when I get excited. So I'm trying to be very balanced and zen today, okay? So how's that now, um, Otto? Is that okay? Good. So Luke 17, 28 to 32. Remember, the context of this is Abraham and Lot. Lot was like Abraham's son, he was a nephew, but their relationship was such that for many years, as most of you know, Abraham didn't have a son, Lot was like that son, and so there was a real close bond between them, and you can look it up yourself in Genesis chapter 12 to 20, there's eight meaty chapters that you can get the full picture on, I've touched on some of them recently, and we'll conclude it next Tuesday night as well. They left the area that we now call Iraq, moved to the area we now call Israel, and Lot 
and his family were living in one place, Abraham and his family in another. And it's the choice that Lot made is what we're going to be looking at here today. So Jesus is speaking and prophesying. He's speaking to the people of, uh, of Palestine 2,000 years ago, but he is now prophesying uh, to today as well. So Jesus said, Just as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in the last days, at the second coming of the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Jesus. They were so busy with everyday life back then. They were totally unaware of what was about to happen once Lot would escape from Sodom. And everyone in that place was destroyed, along with everything they had ever built. So it will be on the day of the second coming, when the Son of Man will return again. Imagine everything you had ever built. Imagine all the years you studied to get a degree, or all the years you put into your kids, or your marriage, or all of the time you spent getting forward in your career or your ministry, and in an instant it is destroyed. That's what happened to the people back then. And Jesus is prophesying, it's going to happen again. It's going to be something similar again. And then he goes into a detail. Remember what happened to Lot's wife when she looked back and was destroyed. Those who are taken up with being secure in this life will lose it all. But those who surrender their lives to me will have real life now and forever. Hallelujah. There is always hope, even in the most challenging of portions of scriptures that try to warn us and get us prepared. There is always hope. And as the scripture says elsewhere, there is always a way of escape. Hallelujah. We might not want to take the way of escape, but there is always a way of escape. So Jesus is saying this, and it's prophetic, because he's talking about the last days. And as we see, he actually says it twice in verse 28. He said, just as in the days of Lot, so it will be in the last days. Now, there's a whole load of debate about when are the last days. But there's a lot of evidence that seems to be growing and suggesting that more and more we're coming in or perhaps are very much in the last days. Now, nobody knows the day or the hour, so we can't be dogmatic on it. But if you look at a lot of the prophetic words in the Old Testament, and you even look at events today, everything from as far afield as the state of Israel to climate change, you begin to wonder, are we in the last days? It's very healthy for every believer to live as if we were in the last days. Have that attitude of mind. It will serve you and me well. It will serve our families well. If we think we're going on forever, we deceive ourselves. I always remember an old pastor from the UK from many years ago when I was a young Christian, and every morning he said he would pull back the curtains and he would go, is it today, Lord, you're going to come back? 
And every evening when he would close the curtains, he would close them and say, is it tonight, Lord, you're going to come back? But Jesus spoke about the last days. And he deliberately mentions Lot. And remember Lot and his family lived in isolation spiritually in the cities of the well-watered plains. Abraham was in Canaan, up in the hill country, wasn't as fertile. But Sodom, Gomorrah, all these cities were very well-to-do, very wealthy. And Lot shows there. And Jesus speaks into the mindset of the people there when he said they were so busy with everyday life that they were totally unaware of what was about to happen. This is the curse of today's world. People, everyone, and I include myself, we're so busy, we don't step back and pause and ask ourselves the question, what's the bigger picture? We're so busy managing today, we don't think about the future. Some do, but most don't. And this is the way they were back then. Life was hectic. You might say, I have a lot of time in my hands. Well, blessed art thou. <laughs> Most people are time poor today. In Ireland, where it was 100 years ago that people were financially poor, but not time poor. Now it's flipped. People are a lot more wealthier financially, but most people are very time poor. And it's a, an unknown challenge in the Christian world where we live, like other people do, holding down jobs, the vast majority, um, rearing families, looking after homes, whatever, developing friendships. But then on top of that, we also give and volunteer to the Lord. And so time pressure is one of the number one hassles in the Christian church around the Western world. Time, time and commitment, exhaustion. And that's why perhaps I'm a voice in the wilderness, but... I, I just see people so taken up with today. They don't step back and pause. There's an old Catholic thing that I think is wise, and it's called the retreat. If those of us who come from a Catholic background might remember the retreat, where you just stop and you reflect on what's going on in your life. Well, the people who were living then were just too busy to reflect on their lives. They were too busy to examine their conscience with what was going on. And Jesus said, it's going to be the same in the last days. What was happening back then is going to be the same in the last days. And when you look at the value system and all the rest of it, it's, it's increasingly more and more. It's incredible. It's almost like... You're, I, I, read, I read the Irish Times as a newspaper. I read the Irish Times and I read the Bible and I kind of get a chill in my soul when I see what I see prophesied in the Bible and then I see what, what's happening, not just in Ireland but in the Western world. And Jesus said that everyone in that place was destroyed along with everything they had built. Everything they had ever built was destroyed. And they themselves were destroyed. So the whole culture there and the value system was destroyed. And it wasn't just a random act. The Bible is very clear. God was behind it. And some people think, well, God is a God of love. He is. But he's also a God of justice. 
And we cannot have a jelly baby attitude, candy-coated gospel that God is just love and he'll just bless me all the time. No, there's also the other side. And there's also a place where we've got to own up to when we are wrong. And we have to say, do you know what? I don't want to sow into my life and into the generations that are going to come after me. I don't want to sow stuff that's going to bring death and not life. And then for the second time in this narrative, Jesus Christ brings up the last days again. He said, so it will be at the second coming of the Son of Man. The Bible tells us that Jesus will come again. Who will say amen? amen? Hallelujah. He's going to come again. But the first time Jesus came, the first coming was about salvation and rescue and setting the captives free and healing. Hallelujah. And we still live in that era. But when Jesus comes the second time, he is coming to separate the wheat from the chaff, the goat from the sheep, the believer from the unbeliever. And then it's final. And then it's final. And that's not what you hear in the world today, but that's what God says. And you know what? The world changes every 10, 20 years. I want to stick to what God says. Amen? That's the solid rock. We're not going to be on the shifting sand of Irish society today and, and its changing ethos. So Jesus brings a sobriety into the experience of the people listening on. And they had seen healing and the dead raised and, and food miraculously provided. They were blessed with following Jesus as we are. But he's saying, hang on a while, there's another side. And then he comes and he himself mentions about Lot's wife. Now, here's what it says. I'm just going to jump out of Luke for one verse. Here's what it says in the book of Genesis 19:26. Lot's wife looked back at Sodom as they were escaping and was destroyed. Just picture it. We know that literally fire and brimstone were falling down on these cities and Lot, because of the intercession and the pleading that Abram, his surrogate father, if you will, or at least his uncle, pleaded with the mysterious three visitors who appeared before Abram, one of whom was the son, one of whom was, was in effect the second person of the Trinity. And because of Abram's prayers, Lot knew he was escaping. So as they're running out from this burning city, and everyone being destroyed. Lot and his kids, they were looking straight ahead. They were getting out of there. But, but she wasn't. She, she saw what they saw, but such was the hold of the past in her life. She couldn't look forward. She started looking back. Looking back, this is how Jesus puts it in Luke 17. Remember what happened to Lot's wife when she looked back and was destroyed? Those who are taken up with being secure in this life will lose it all. Will lose it all. And it's so interesting that she lost her life. And you know what? The Bible never records her name. Nobody knows her name. What was her name? We don't know her name. If your past so clouds who you are, you know what it does to me, to you? It steals our identity. 
So you're not John or Mary. You're John who used to be in prison. You're Mary who was abused by her dad. You're, you're Pat who was, became a bankrupt. Or you, you were, lost your job. You were fired. Or you're, you're Sheila who used to have a wonderful marriage. You know, the marriage is gone. And you and I adopt subconsciously with the little help of the whisperer called the enemy. And we begin to take on an identity that was never meant to be our identity. And we walk through life with the shadow of something from the past that takes over who we are. And you know what? The Bible says, Jesus said, I have called you by name. It is so important. Your name is unique. I was saying down in Cafe Church, there was a couple there, a Polish couple, and I was trying to remember their names from last week. I remembered the husband's name, but not the wife's. But people often say, why do we try and remember so many people's names? I always write down new names. Why? Because it's your identity. We want to respect and honor that you're an individual. You're not a number. And it's so easy in a church with over a thousand people coming in that you can lose that. And you know what? As long as I'm alive, I'll fight against that. Nobody here is a number. You are an individual. And I'm not just saying that to butter you up. I passionately believe it. But Lot's wife, she didn't have an identity. She didn't have an identity. You might say... Well, some names are very common, like my name. Ever heard the saying, Tom, Dick, and Harry? <laughs> Guess what? With a thousand people, there's no one else in the church called Tom. Hallelujah. <laughs> and any time I meet someone called Tom, I tell them, this isn't the church for you. I'm, I'm the only Tom in this village. <laughs> By the way, I don't know any Dicks or Harrys here either, so there you go. You're an individual and your identity is precious in God's sight. But we can lose our identity like Lot's wife lost hers because we're looking back over our shoulder. And it's not good. A failed relationship or someone we loved that died and we never got over it. I remember years ago talking to a guy and he was totally taken up with the fact that his mum and dad were very successful in business here in, in Cork and they were a very wealthy family but he couldn't replicate that and his job didn't pay well and so his experience was a lot poorer than his mum and dad and it almost became in my opinion and he's a Christian his identity what he didn't have from the past he kept looking back at mum and dad as his as his template and you know it's good to learn from mum and dad but God sets a new template in your life and in mine, not only was she looking back, why was she looking back? Well, obviously she identified with what was going on there. And we know that Paul, the great apostle, says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good morals. And it's not just for 14-year-old boys. It's for men and women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Who do you surround yourself with? Like the old saying, show me, a, show me your friends and I'll show you the man. Are the people in your life those who will speak life into you? They build you up or are they dragging you down? Sometimes horror of horrors. 
our own families who we love can drag us down. I'm not saying you're not, we're not some spooky cult where you cut off your family, but you just have to be wise what you share with people. And, and allow those who speak life into you and who love God, let them bring life into you. Make sure you raise some up. It reminds me, when I was a child, we always had dogs in our house. Dogs, cats, we were like Noah's Ark. Always animals in the house. And then when I got married, we've never had an animal since. There's a psychological leak. But I can remember we had one particular dog in our house. Um, and he was born in the garage. I can remember the day he was born. Um, sounds like a child, doesn't it? But I do. I remember the day this dog was born. And uh, he was a beautiful Labrador with a light brown coat. And we called him Tan. And Tan was literally the proverbial cliche. He was like a member of the family. So there were three kids, but he was like the fourth sibling. Oh, we loved Tan. And he was such a lovable, faithful hound. He went everywhere with us. I can remember even when I was about 11 or something, going to Mass uh, every morning at Lent. We'd get up early in the dark. Mum and Dad would still be asleep. And we'd walk up to Mass in the Lock Church to Lent. And Tan the dog would insist on coming with us. And the priest just gets so angry that the dog would come into the church with us. We was trying to keep him out. But he was so faithful. He followed us everywhere. But I can remember as a child, Tan sitting in the ground in the kitchen... And we would lie down and play with Tan. And my mother would quote this old Irish proverb, On te alien le madri, I roig she le fehidi. That's Gaelic for those of you who don't know, or Irish. On te alien le madri, I roig she le fehidi. Who'll translate it for me? Very good. He who lies down with a dog comes up with fleas. And just to quote, my mother would say, he who lies down with a dog will come up, rise up with fleas. And you know what? I can remember on three or four occasions, a day or two after lying down with Tan the dog and playing with him, I'd get up in the morning and my mother would see on the sheets of the bed all the little black stains. Sorry, we were a really lovely family. We had no fleas or nothing. We were really cool. No, we had fleas in our house every now and again. And my mother would banish Tan the dog up to the garage for about an hour. <laughs> and we'd bring him back again. But I always remember when I'd lay down with Tan the dog and she'd quote, Until Leon La Madre, Roichele Fahidi. I can always remember. Uh, Mammy saying to me, make sure you marry a nice girl. <laughs> and I did marry a nice girl, didn't I? Am I, yeah. And my mother and father really loved Denise. They were mad about her. Even when we, we were Christians and they were really upset that we had become Christians, they were really upset and we were getting married in the Baptist church a couple of doors up here. Oh, because it was such a strong Catholic house, they were really upset about it. But despite that, they loved Denise. But the thing about lying down with dogs and getting up with fleas, it's who do we surround ourselves with? Bad company can corrupt good morals, and sometimes 
they will bring us to our past and not to our future. Because God wants us to move forward with our future. Remember what Jesus Christ said in Luke. Those who surrender their lives to me will have real life or true life now and forever. If we are the passion version of the New Testament quotes earlier. Those who are taken up with their security in this life. Those who are obsessed with their security in this life. You're going to lose it. But if you surrender to him, you'll find it. It's the upside down kingdom. Hallelujah. To have another quote about the past. Anybody ever hear of Miles Nagopoline? Okay, I know the Irish did. Miles Nagopoline, famous writer, uh, a.k.a. Flann O'Brien, a.k.a. Brian O'Nolan. He's apparently quoted as saying this, never be a prisoner of your past. It was just a lesson. Not a life sentence. You wouldn't think Miles Nagopoline would be that wise. Someone once said to us, Buddha quoted it, but I, I prefer Miles Nagopoline myself. But there's truth in that, isn't there? It's not a life sentence. Whatever happened in your past or my past, it doesn't determine the identity and the destiny, I'm going to use that word, of where God wants us to go. So brothers and sisters, let's not be a prisoner of it. Remember what Isaiah said in the Old Testament. Forget the former things, says the Lord. Here we go. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing for you. Now we're not talking about being in denial of our past. Sometimes if something traumatic happened, we need professional help. And maybe we need a lot of prayer and pastoral counsel, of course. And if I've done wrong in the past, if I've hurt someone, I need to go back and apologize and repent or make restitution. I'm not talking about playing the Pollyanna glad game and brushing everything under the carpet. That is so shallow. That's not what Jesus has asked us to do. I'm talking about something a lot deeper where the past just continues to steal our identity and rob us of our future. And that's what we're looking at. That's what Isaiah was prophesying in the Old Testament. Don't dwell on it like that because God is doing a new thing. And it's not just the Old Testament. We see the same message coming through in the New Testament. Paul wrote this in Philippians 3. I will now forget what is behind me and I will move forward to what lies ahead, even to the heavenward goal, to win the prize that God has called me to. Hallelujah. That God has called me to. Brothers, sisters, God has a better future for us than our past. And you might say, well, maybe I'll die. We will all die, but we won't die. We might die physically, but we will live forever. Hallelujah. And if you're not sure about that, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, you're only a prayer away from securing your future. If it's done sincerely and with a, a, a real heart, you are only a prayer away, like we all once were. But I speak to the majority here. And I speak to those of us who do love the Lord as I come towards the close today. Are you looking back over your shoulder? It's okay for Mike and the mechanics, Mr. Cool, singing the song, talking about a, a, a long-lost love. But looking back for Christians in that way is very unhealthy. 
It leads to us becoming dysfunctional Christians. So God's will for you and for me is that our identity, which we all carry around a little bit in our head from childhood. Sometimes we grew up in poverty and we never lose that shadow. Or we grew up with some sexual issue and we never lose that shadow. It's not God's will for any of us to have a shadow. The light will pierce the darkness. In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. In Bethlehem, where he was born, Herod nearby had built a tower called the Herodian. Huge building. It blocked the daylight. There was a physical darkness in that place. And how apt that the Son of Man would be born, the light of the world, in the shadow of the Herodian, as it was known as. Jesus Christ will pierce the shadow of your past. So we're going to pray, going to ask the band up, going to sing a song. It starts with this incredible line, greatest day in history. That's the history we look back to. We look back to the history of when Jesus Christ conquered death and pierced the darkness for us. That's why we can have a happy day today, and that's why we can have faith in the future, because we're not victims of our past. So I'm going to do a prayer in the moment. Basically, is the past stealing your identity? Because it's not God's will for you to be that person. And we're just going to pray that our past doesn't determine our future. Will we stand? Words on the screen. Greatest day in history. Let's think of that for a moment and then we'll pray.
Our identity has been compromised by something in the past. And we want to embrace the new identity we have as a son and daughter of the High King. This is your identity. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Whether you're up here or down there, I see your hands. Let's embrace that identity. We are not the identity of the past. We're a new creation. Who'll say amen? What happens? What does the Bible say for a new creation? What happens to the old things? They pass away. So we pray now, Lord. One last prayer for every man and woman with their hands raised to heaven that we would embrace this new identity. We are the sons, we are the daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So take away, oh God, the identity of the past for us and help us to embrace our new calling. The days of the latter house will be greater than the days of the former house. Let our future embrace us now, Lord. We will look straight ahead and we walk out with confidence, looking up to the God who gives us a future, who gives us a destiny, and all whose hands are up in the air. We embrace that now in Jesus' name. And one last time, the people of God said, Hallelujah, Amen. God bless you guys. Let's go to our seats. We're going to sing this one more time and then we close. Remember, we've got coffee and tea upstairs. Let's take one more minute to sing it and then we go on our way. Hallelujah.